good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is October the 6th. 279th day of the year. Only 86 days remain to the end of the year. Holidays and observances. National Noodle Day. World Smile Day. Egypt Armed Forces Day. Honduras Discovery of America Day. Inbox Zero Day. That's how to manage your emails and keep a zero inbox. Kids Music Day. Manufacturing Day. National Badger Day, National Body Language Day, National Coaches Day, National Energy Geek Day, uh, National German American Day, National Isabella Day, National Mad Hatter Day, National Orange Wine Day, National Plus Size Appreciation Day. National Transfer Money to Your Daughter Day, October Liberatory War, uh, Restored the Balance of Power in the Arab World, Turkmenistan Earthquake Memorial Day, and World Cerebral Palsy Day. <coughs> Excuse me. In 105 B.C., The Cimbrian War, defeat at the Battle of Ariusio of the Roman Army of the Mid-Republic, 69 B.C., Third Mithridatic War, Military of the Roman Republic, Sadu Armenia, A.D. 23, rebels decapitate Wang Mang, two days after his capital was sacked during a peasant rebellion, 404, Byzantine Empress Eudoxia dies from the miscarriage of her seventh Pregnancy. 618, transition from Sui to Tang. Wang Sichong decisively defeats Lami at the Battle of Wanxi. 1539, Spain's DeSoto expedition takes over the Appalachian capital of Anhaka for their winter quarters. 1600, Eurydice, the earliest surviving opera, receives its premier performance on this date, beginning the Baroque period. 1683, immigrant families found Germantown, Pennsylvania in the first major immigration of German people to America. 1762, Seven Years' War. British capture Manila from Spain and occupy it. 1777, American Revolutionary War. British forces capture Forks Clinton and Montgomery on the Hudson River. 1789, French Revolution. King Louis XVI forced to change his residence for side to the Tuileries Palace. 1910. Large fire destroys a third of all the buildings in the town of Rahi in the Grand Duchy of Finland. 1849. The execution of the 13 martyrs of the Arid after the Hungarian War of Independence took place on this date. Now, they were the 13 Hungarian rebel generals who were executed by the Austrian Empire 
in the city of Arad, in the then part of the Kingdom of Hungary, that's now actually in Romania, after the Hungarian Revolution. Execution is ordered by the Austrian general Julius Jacob van Hainau. Eighteen fifty four in England, the grand fire of Newcastle and Gateshead leads to fifty three deaths and hundreds of injuries. eighteen eighty four, Naval War College of the US is founded in Rhode Island. eighteen ninety eight, FIMU Alpha Sinfonia, the largest American music fraternity is founded at the New England Conservatory of Music. nineteen oh three, the High Court of Australia sits for the first time. 1908, the Bosnian crisis erupts when Austria-Hungary formally annexes Bosnia and Herzegovina. 1910, Eleutherios Venizelos is elected Prime Minister of Greece for the first of seven times. 1915, combined Austro-Hungarian and German central powers reinforced by the recently joined Bulgaria launched a new offensive against Serbia under the command of August van Mackensen. 1915, intent forces land in Thessalonica to open the Macedonian front against the Central Powers. 1920, Ukrainian War of Independence. The Starobisk Agreement signed by the representatives of the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic and the Magna Vecina. 1923, Turkish National Movement enters Constantinople. 1927, opening of the Jazz Singer, the first prominent talkie movie. 1939, World War II, the Battle of Kok, final combat of the September campaign in Poland. 1942, World War II, American troops forced the Japanese in their positions east of the Mantanakawa River during the Battle of Guadalcanal. On this date, 1943, World War II. Thirteen civilians are burned alive by a paramilitary group in Crete during the Nazi occupation of Greece. 1944, World War II, units of the 1st Czechoslovak Army Corps entered Czechoslovakia during the Battle of the Dukla Pass. 1973, Egypt and Syria launched coordinated attacks against Israel beginning the Yom Kippur War. 1976, Kubana, the Avarashion Flight 455, is destroyed by two bombs put on board by an anti-Castro militant group. 1976, Premier Wao Gofeng arrests a gang of four, ending the Cultural Revolution in China. The Gang of Four was a Maoist political faction composed of four Chinese Communist Party officials. came to prominence during the Cultural Revolution, later charged with a series of uh, treasonous crimes due to their responsibility for the Perceived excesses and failures of the Cultural Revolution. The gang's leading figure was Jing Qing, Mao Zedong's last wife. Other members were Zhang Kunqiao, Yao Wenyang, and Wang Hongyun. They controlled the power organs of the CCP through the latter stages of the Cultural Revolution. Though not really clear which major decisions were actually made by Mao and carried out by the gang and which were the result of the gang's own planning. 
Their fall didn't amount to a rejection of the Cultural Revolution as such, but it was organized by the new leader, Premier Huao Gofeng, and others who had arisen during that period. Significant repudiation of the entire process of change came later with the return of the Deng Xiaoping at the 11th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party and Hua's uh, gradual loss of uh, authority. When you play politics, many things can come back to bite you. 1976, dozens of uh, are killed by the Thai police and right-wing paramilitaries in the Tamasat University Massacre. Afterwards, the Sini Pramaj government's toppled by a military coup led by Sangad Chalaru. 1977, the first prototype of the Mekayan MiG-29, designated the 9-01, makes its maiden flight. 1979, Pope John Paul II becomes the first pontiff to visit the White House. 1981, Egyptian President Anwar Sadat's murdered by Islamic extremists. Also in 1981, NLM City Hopper Flight 431 crashes in Bergerjink after taking off from Rotterdam, The Hague Airport, and the Netherlands. All 17 people on board were killed. 1985, Police Constable Keith Blakelock is murdered as riots erupt in the Broadwater Farm suburb of London. 1987, Fiji becomes a republic. 1995, the first planet orbiting another sun, 51 Pegasi B, is discovered. 2007, Jason Lewis completes the first human-powered circumnavigation of the Earth. 2010, Instagram, a mainstream photo-sharing application, is founded. 2018, the U.S. Senate confirms Brent Kavanaugh as a Supreme Court Associate Justice ending a contentious confirmation process. And in 2022, Annie Ernau is awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. Of course, they could have picked one of my 60 books, but they didn't. All right. Um, we've been talking about mysterious disappearances. And we finished up talking about... Uh, Disappearances at sea. Now, one of the most mysterious disappearances took place on the Flannan Isles Lighthouse in Scotland. Took place December 26, 1900. They were the lighthouse keepers at the Flannan Isles Lighthouse. Thomas Marshall, who was only 24, James Ducat, who was 48, and Donald MacArthur. Now, they mysteriously vanished. Absolutely no sign of what happened to them. 1902. Yadahilis Addis, 44 years old. Translator of ancient Mexican narratives. Addis escaped from an insane asylum in California where her husband had her confined during her divorce and vanished completely. 1908, Joseph Bunko Kelly disappeared from Salem, Oregon. He was an English hotelier, crimper, and convicted murderer who had just completed a 13-year prison sentence at the Oregon State Penitentiary and wrote a book about the conditions there. Left Salem on a trip to California after his book was published and vanished completely. 
is probably a book signing tour. October 17, 1908. Eduardo Newberry, who's 30, and Eduardo Romero, who's 33, vanished from Rio de la Plata in Argentina. Argentina odontologist and aerostat pilot Eduardo Newberry, an Argentine Army Corporal Eduardo Romero, disappeared after taking off from Buenos Aires in the aerostat Pampero in an attempt to achieve a night flying record. They vanished completely. Absolutely. No idea what happened to them. Now, there are a number of especially um, mysterious disappearances, such as an entire 50,000-man army who vanished in Egypt. Allegedly, a sandstorm. But again, nobody has any idea. There's also been a number of um, people who vanished and left behind creepy recordings. Now, I've got a list of the top ten. Number ten was Large Matank. Now, this particular case is considered as uh, mysterious as it is unnerving. He was a 28-year-old German man vacationing in Bulgaria with friends when he got into a physical altercation with some strangers over football, of all things. He suffered a ruptured eardrum, which prevented him from flying home. After his friends left, he began to act erratically, and uh, the hotel CCTV uh, footage captured some of his odd behavior. called his mother, told her four men were out to kill him. He was last seen on CCTV fleeing Verna Airport and running into a nearby field where he disappeared. Hadn't been seen or heard from since. And the reason for his paranoia uh, remains unknown. But clearly he didn't die in that field because his bones were never found. Now we got Brandon Lawson, night of August 9th, 2013. Got into an argument with his partner, Odessa Lofton, left home just before midnight. Soon after he left, he called his brother Kyle and uh, said he's being chased out of town and had run out of gas. Now, Kyle was worried about his brother, who was involved in drugs, and he thought maybe he was on a bad trip, but following that, Lawson made an eerie call to 911, saying he's being chased into the woods. Well, when Kyle and the police got to the scene, Brandon's truck was abandoned. Um, Kyle's girlfriend, uh, Audrey, reported they got a call from Brandon who said he was uh, just up the road and bleeding, but no matter how wide they made the search, he was never seen or heard from again. Then there's Corey McKeague. September 23, 2016. RAF Regiment 
Gunner Corey McKean was drinking with some friends in Suffolk, England. 325 the next morning, McKean was spotted on CCTV coming out of the cul-de-sac of Brent Gumble Street, an area that uh, contains several wheelie bins. Never left the cul-de-sac, though. He failed to report for work the next day, instigating a missing persons case. His phone was eventually tracked to a landfill, and while extensive searches were undertaken, nothing conclusive was ever found. The theory was that a drunk McKeague fell asleep inside a wheelie. That's uh, similar to the trash cans or dumpsters that we use that are usually have wheels on them and was crushed by a garbage truck. Then his remains may have accidentally been incinerated at the landfill, but um, many folks don't think this is actually what happened. The search still continues. Uh, his mother's responsible for many of them. Then there's Claudia Lawrence. Night of March 18th, 2009, Lawrence returned home from work and sent a text to a friend at 8.23 p.m. And that would be the last time anybody heard from her. CCTV footage was found showing a light-colored Ford Focus driving down the road the morning of March 19th and breaking just outside Lawrence's house. Despite years of investigation, the case went cold until 2013 when uh, a uh, new uh, major crime unit was formed. They found that Lawrence's cell phone was mysteriously turned off the day after her disappearance and unidentified fingerprints were found in her house. Several people have been arrested under suspicion of murder, but a lack of evidence and cooperation from witnesses has prevented any charges from being filed. Her body's never been found. You know, once again, nobody has a clue as to what took place. Then we got um, Amber Takara. 20-year-old woman from uh, Alberta's uh, Nikki Sioux Cree First Nation was last seen just outside Edmonton, August 18, 2010. Got a ride into Edmonton from an unknown male and was never seen again. Two years after her disappearance, a cell phone recording was released of Takaro speaking with the man, and she can be heard uh, adamantly questioning his directions and their true destination. Four days after the rec that recording was released, uh, police uh, found Takaro's skull in the farmer's field. Investigative work behind her disappearance has been highly criticized, and Alberta Royal Canadian Mounted Police even apologized to Takaro's family. They, of course, were not very receptive to that uh, apology. Then we got Kenny Veach, 2014. Hiker Kenny Veach left a comment on a YouTube video in which he Explain coming across a creepy M-shaped cave in a desert and fleeing in terror. Eager YouTube commentators uh, encouraged Veach to return and document his experiences. And When he did so, he failed to find the cave, but he did come across an abandoned mine shaft. Disappointed viewers urged Veach to try again, of course. And It's very easy to ask somebody to put their life on the line when you're not there. He sent out once more try to find this um, M-shaped cave and was never seen again. phone was eventually found outside the very mine shaft that was recorded in this previous video. And a woman claiming to be his girlfriend later commented on the video saying her belief Veach had committed suicide and left his phone behind so as not to be tracked. 
Well, easy way to distance yourself from any potential blame. Then we got Trevor Dealey, December 7, 2000, 22-year-old IT worker, was attending a work Christmas party at a nightclub in Dublin. Left the club at 3.25 in the morning and stopped at work, where he briefly spoke to a mysterious man in black outside the business gates. 4.14, after leaving work, he spotted walking home on CCTV with a man in black following roughly 30 seconds behind him. Now, the police do believe this is the same man that spoke to Dealey outside the business gates, but unfortunately, this is a less-known recording of Dealey, and the case has since gone cold. The man remains unidentified. Nobody knows what was discussed, why Dealey was seemingly being followed. Certainly, it's an um, interesting possibility. Then there's Brian Schaffer, medical student at Ohio State University. Night of March 31st, Schaffer and his friend William Florence went bar hopping to celebrate spring break. Sometime during that night, Schaffer vanished completely. Police reviewed CCTV footage outside the Ugly Tuna Saluna, which showed Schaffer talking with two women. He left them and walked towards the bar, but wasn't recorded ever leaving. It's the only known publicly accessible entrance and exit, leaving investigators baffled. It's possible the Constantly panning and manually operated cameras just missed him, but uh, William Florence refused to take a lie detector test, leading people close to Shafford to suspect his involvement in his disappearance. Some believe Shafford's dead, and others think he ran off to live under a new identity. But if you're in medical school, of all things, why would you run off to try to start a new identity? Then is Henry McCabe, morning of September 7, 2015, Corrine McCabe got a horrifying voicemail from her husband, Henry. Features what sounds like menacing growls and human moaning before a voice was heard saying, Stop it. Well, after that, Henry McCabe was quickly declared a missing person. Last person to see him alive told investigators he dropped him off at a convenience store following a night of partying. Well, McCabe remained missing for over two months till his body was found in a lake about six miles from that convenience store. Weird thing is the medical examiner found no apparent injuries on McCabe's body, leading many to question the source and reasoning of the eerie sounds captured on that voicemail. They also didn't announce what actually was the cause of death. And then there's Chris Creamers and Lisanne Froon, two young Dutch students set off on a hike in Panama, April 1st, 2014, and having spent... Between two and three years in Panama, I would not recommend hiking. Uh, with him was a dog that belonged to restaurant owners that befriended, but the dog came back alone. Ten weeks later, Froon's backpack was discovered by a riverbank with her camera and both women's phones in it. Both had tried to call emergency services on the first day of the hike. A few days later, Froon's uh, phone died and somebody entered false uh, pin codes and... Uh, Crimmer's phone. More attempts to call emergency services followed that. Digital camera contained photos of the hike, but also 90 flash photos from the pitch black morning of April 8th. One showed the back of Creamer's head, and sadly the women's bones were later found scattered along the riverbank. But uh, it's still a baffling case to this day.
you have to wonder exactly why folks would vanish to start their life over again. Well, got some other interesting cases. I'm going to cover 15 more disappearances that cover centuries, locations, age ranges, and circumstances. There's one common thread to these 15, in fact, all that I have listed, a lack of closure. There have been plenty of theories, speculations, and investigations, but there's never been a decisive answer. Of course, one we mentioned earlier was Virginia Dare. Her grandfather was John White, the uh, governor of uh, Roanoke Colony. White went back to England to get supplies. And while he was gone, the entire colony vanished. Not just the people. Even the buildings vanished. Nobody knows what happened. Then there's Owen Parfit. He was older. Vanished off his front sister's front porch in the English countryside. It's the summer of 1763. Accounts do differ as to the, the age, though. While living with his sister in the town of Shepton Mallet, the, this paralyzed 60-year-old Parfit simply vanished. He couldn't have walked off. He was paralyzed. Farm workers working in the field across the road from uh, the porch where he was sitting didn't see anybody come or go. According to them, one moment he was sitting there, and the next minute he was gone. Then uh, one of the more famous disappearances was Ambrose Bierce. He's an American author. Part of the inspiration behind uh, HBO's True Detective show. Bierce himself is uh, a subject of a real-life mystery that will never be solved. It was 1913 when... Pierce was in his 70s, told his friends and family he's going to Mexico to join Pancho Villa. After sending a few letters from Mexico, Pierce was never seen or heard from again. There are those that speculated he was killed in action, others believe he may have committed suicide. Um, but, that's, um, there's absolutely no evidence supporting that. Now, from Ambrose Bierce, let's talk about some other unsolved mysteries. How about the incident at the Love Pass? That's been a baffling mystery ever since 1959. It was on the first night of February 1959 when nine ski hikers died mysteriously in the mountains of what's now Russia. Out of the incident, the group had set up camp on a slope, had a nice dinner, prepared for sleep. But something went drastically wrong at that point. On February 26, searchers found the hikers' abandoned tent, which had been ripped open from the inside. Surrounding the area were footprints left by the members of that party. Some wearing socks, some wearing a single shoe. Some completely barefoot. 
but all the tracks continued to the edge of a nearby wood. And that's where the first two bodies were found, shoeless and wearing only underwear. Clearly something panicked them to the point. They cut their way out of their own tent and took off running. Now, the scene marks the death by hyperthermia, but uh, as medical examiners inventoried the bodies, as well as the other seven that were later discovered over the months that followed, hypothermia no longer made any sense. In fact, the evidence made no sense at all. One body had evidence of blunt force trauma consistent with a brutal assault. Another one had third-degree burns. One had been vomiting blood. One was missing its tongue. And some of the clothing was found to be radioactive. Now, theories float. Theories floated uh, included KGB interference and drug overdose, UFOs, of course, gravity anomalies, and the Russian version of the Yeti. But that does not explain the radioactivity. Recent documentary filmmaker presented a theory involving a terrifying but real phenomenon called infrasound, in which the wind interacts with the topography to create a barely audible hum that can nevertheless induce powerful feelings of nausea and panic and dread and chills and nervousness and cause your heartbeat rate to go up and cause problems breathing. The only consensus remains that whatever happened involved an overwhelming and possibly inhuman force Now, we've got another story. There have been a lot of stories in the news about what you might refer to as sickening noises. Can noises make you sick? Well, in December 2016, a CIA officer checked into the American Embassy's health office in Havana suffering from nausea and headache and dizziness. Days later... Two more CIA officers reported similar ailments. Late 2018, a number of folks, 26 Americans and 13 Canadians, experienced the nausea. They experienced nausea, hearing loss, vertigo, nosebleeds, and had issues focusing. In all the cases, the victims claimed that symptoms were triggered by a strange noise they heard at their homes or hotel rooms. One person said that noise was high pitched. Another described a beam of sound pointed into their room. Some insisted it was more closely resembled marbles rolling on the floor. Well, the illness has confounded medical experts. Doctors at the University of Pennsylvania examined some of the victims diagnosed concussion-like symptoms, but didn't find any signs they actually suffered a concussion. Well... Since everybody... The common thread with all these people was they were signing Cuba. Could the Cuban government have been up to something? Now, the Cubans vehemently deny they were responsible, and a lot of the investigators believe them. And that's because they still don't know who or what made the victim sick. Could it have been a new type of weapon? CIA claims they didn't know of any weapon that could cause those symptoms. Ultrasound, uh... 
One theory holds that a pair of covert eavesdropping devices placed too closely to each other by Cuban agents may have inadvertently produced the reaction. Kind of like the feedback you hear when somebody stands too close to a microphone. But the FBI, who unfortunately has been reduced to the level of Keystone Cops lately, had not found any evidence to substantiate that argument. In fact, ultrasound is above the range of human hearing. And recordings of the sounds from some of the victims only added to the confusion. Two scientists who studied the recordings believed they captured the sound of lovelorn male crickets. And one of the scientists, Alexander Stubbs of the University of California at Berkeley, oh, that's a background for you, says the insects were incredibly loud. You can hear them from inside a diesel truck going 40 miles an hour on the highway. In spite of that, scientists still don't know why the sounds might lead to illness in humans. Could it have been just nerves? Well, Cuba's a high-threat, high-stress post, a former embassy official told uh, investigators. Diplomats are warned that there'll be surveillance, there'll be listening devices in your house, probably in your car. And for some people, that puts them in a high-stress uh, mentality, in a threat anticipation mode. But if that's the case, how do you explain what happened in China? May of 2018, an American posted in the consulate in Guangzhou was diagnosed with the very same mystery illness. Eventually, 15 American embassy personnel had to be evacuated. And while the seemingly airborne cause of these brain injuries is still a mystery, the fallout's clear. In fact, we removed 60% of our diplomats from Cuba and expelled 15 Cuban diplomats from Washington. Mysterious sounds may well be the opening shots of some new kind of Cold War. And then, of course, one of the most famous disappearing acts and most famous mysteries in history, the Mary Celeste. December 4th, 1872, British-American ship called the Mary Celeste, was found empty and adrift in the Atlantic. Seaworthy, and with its cargo fully intact, except it was missing one lifeboat that appeared to have been boarded in an orderly fashion. But why did they launch the lifeboat? Well, we may never know, because nobody on board has ever heard from again. November of 1872, the Mary Celeste set sail from New York, bound for Genoa, Italy. She was manned by Captain Benjamin Briggs and a crew of seven, including his wife and their two-year-old daughter. Supplies on board were ample enough for six months and somewhat luxurious, including a sewing machine and an upright piano. Commentators generally agree that to participate uh, the abandonment of a seaworthy ship, something extraordinary and alarming had to have happened. But the last entry on the ship's daily log shows nothing of unusual and Inside the ship, everything appeared to be in order. Now, theories over the years have included mutiny and pirate attack and an assault by a giant octopus or some other kind of sea monster. Recent years, scientists suppose the theory that fumes from alcohol on board caused an explosion that as a result of a scientific anomaly didn't leave behind any signs of burning. It was terrifying enough that Briggs ordered everybody into the lifeboat. Now, one theory I've heard was that 
they planned on following the ship, and if nothing happened, get back on board, but a gust of wind caught the ship and took it out of their reach. They were never seen again. And then, of course, the one that I talked about the other day, I got a little bit more information about it, the mysterious D.B. Cooper. It was November 24, 1971. Dan Cooper was a passenger on Northwest Airlines Flight 305 from Portland to Seattle. It's only a 30-minute flight. He was described by passengers and flight attendants as a man in his mid-40s wearing a dark suit, black tie with a mother-of-pearl tie clip, and a neatly pressed white-collared shirt. Sat down in his seat and lit a cigarette and ordered a bourbon and soda for which he paid cash. Well, shortly after takeoff, he handed a note to a 23-year-old flight attendant who ignored it, assuming it was the man's phone number. After a few minutes, he called her over and said, Man, miss, you need to look at that note. I've got a bomb. Well, the note's exact wording is not really known, since Cooper reclaimed it after the flight attendant read it, but his demands were for 200000 in negotiable American currency, which today would be worth about a million dollars. Four parachutes and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the plane on arrival. Well, the flight attendant immediately went to see the captain. Airlines president authorized full cooperation. It was kept quiet. The other passengers had no idea what was happening. They were told the landing was delayed due to mechanical difficulties. 5.39 p.m., the plane landed. An airline employee delivered a cash-filled knapsack and parachutes. Cooper allowed all the passengers and two flight attendants to leave the plane. During refueling, he outlined his plan to the crew. They were to fly a southeasterly course toward Mexico with one further refueling stop in Nevada. Two hours later, the plane took off, and when they landed in Reno, Cooper's absence was noted. Cooper, whom the media mistakenly referred to as D.B. Cooper, was never seen or heard from again. His parachute was never found. The ransom money was never spent that anybody knows about. 1980, a young boy on vacation with his family in Oregon found several packets of the ransom money, identified by serial number, leading to an intense search of the area for Cooper or his remains. Nothing was ever found, and for a, a time it was speculated that uh, Madman's Don Draper was the man who had become Cooper. In the real world, a parachute strap was found in 2017 at one of Cooper's possible landing sites, but they never found any sign of him or the balance of the money. Now, if you're going to pull something like this, I would have thought even in 1971 you'd ask for more than $200,000, but then again, maybe he had some kind of plan. Well, we've got another mystery that uh, science can't explain. It's referred to generally as living statues. From 1917 to 1928, half a million people were afflicted with a ghastly condition that could be part of the plot line for a horror movie. Hollywood hadn't done it yet, but certainly it would fit the bill. The victims, very much alive and conscious, found themselves in inexplicably frozen states, their static bodies, prisons for their minds, similar to what they say happened to Alexander the Great. When he was buried, he wasn't dead. He was just comatose. Encephalitis lethargica, also known as the sleeping sickness, first appeared in Europe and spread around the world. 
reaching epidemic levels in North America, Europe, and India by 1919. About a third of those stricken with this illness die. Of the survivors, nearly half eventually find themselves unable to physically interact with the world around them, all the while fully aware of their surroundings. And though occasionally capable of limited speech, high motion, and even laughter, they generally appear as living statues. Totally motionless for hours and days and weeks, sometimes even years. Causes unknown, but one theory is brain inflammation triggered by rare strain of Staphylococcus, bacteria responsible for sore throats each year. Science's best guess is the bacteria mutated, provoking the immune system to attack the brain, leaving the victim helpless. And none of this explains why the illness disappeared under the resurface sporadically. It was in Europe in the 1950s, in China, uh, in, uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, when a 12-year-old girl was hospitalized for five weeks with the disease. So I guess we have to ask, are such occurrences the new normal? Are they signs that EL, as it's referred to, could be planning something bigger any day? 2004 analysis of 20 patients with symptoms remarkably similar to this disease concluded whether aildom is still prevalent. And as such, history so-called sleeping sickness remains a stuff of nightmares. Could it have been... Uh, a secret weapon? Since it began in Europe, it could have been um, released by the Chinese or the, the Russians. Well, from mysterious illnesses, let's turn to mysterious locations. The famous Area 51, located in uh, southern Nevada. U.S. military base, the very existence of which was unconfirmed in 2013 when the CIA was obliged to respond to a Freedom of Information Act request from 2005. Based on historical evidence, it would appear Area 51 supports the development and testing of experimental aircraft and weapons. Public satellite images, such as those available on Google Maps, don't provide much insight. We know the security clearance to visit Area 51 are transported there from Las Vegas in an airline called Janet, whose planes are unmarked and which shrouds its windows up on descent. You can't see anything as you come in for a landing. Now, there's so much secrecy around Area 51 that rumors have sprung up that the government uses it to house crashed UFOs and conduct lab tests on aliens. Other theories about the Area 51 uh, include those uh, that it's used as, to conduct research on time travel, teleportation, maybe meetings with extraterrestrials, development of a means for weather control, and activities related to uh, the mysterious one-world government. Well, where these theories come from is much of mystery is Area 51 itself, I guess. But one thing is certain, people love a good conspiracy theory. Well, how about um, the case of the roaming ruins? You know, it's not unusual to find junk in Brazil's Guanabara Bay, but what Robert Marks a uh, treasure hunter. Unearthed there in 18, 1982 was an unusual kind of foreign matter. In an underwater field the size of three tennis courts, about 15 miles offshore, there was the remains of some 200 Roman ceramic jars, a few of which were fully intact. According to Marx, uh, the jars appear to be twin-handled amphora, 
that were used to transport goods such as grains and wine in the third century. But the question is, how did they get there? First Europeans didn't reach Brazil until 1500, and the Romans certainly weren't supposed to be there. Even though there's evidence of a Roman ruin outside of uh, a town in Arizona. The Romans, who traded primarily in Mediterranean port cities in the Middle East, had little incentive to invest in ships that could cross oceans. Though it is known they sailed as far as India. Maybe some untrained navigator lost his way in a storm. Maybe mutineers steered the ship uh, westward. We'll probably never know, and we're not likely to uncover more evidence. Brazil closed the Bay of Jars for further research in 1983 in an effort to deter looters, it said. Our country government didn't want the area explored because finding Roman area artifacts would mean that the country, uh, contrary to Brazil's official history, the Portuguese were not the first Europeans to reach the country. Now, the truth is resting under 100 feet of uh, seawater. We'll probably never have the answer to that particular mystery. Let's talk about the Voynich Manuscript. It's a roughly 250-page book written in an entirely unknown language in an unknown writing system. It's been carbon dated back to the 1400s. includes illustration of plants that don't res resemble any known species. It's named for the Polish book dealer who bought it in 1912. It's believed to have been intended as a medical text. first confirmed owner was George Beresk, who died in 1662. He was an alchemist from Prague who discovered it uh, taken up space uselessly in his library. He tried to investigate the manuscript's origins, but didn't have any luck. manuscript changed hands for centuries till it was purchased by Voynich, who thought it was authored by Albertus Magnus, an alchemist, or maybe Roger Bacon, an early scientist. Some believe Voynich fabricated the manuscript and its history all by himself. Various other hoaxes have been proposed over the years, and of course, that wouldn't explain the carbon dating of the paper and the ink. Centuries after its first alleged discovery, the Voynich manuscript remains as impenetrable and inexplicable as ever. Well, from mysterious Manuscripts, let's talk about reincarnation. You know, studies have shown 24% of Americans believe in reincarnation. And although scientists tend to poo-poo the very possibility, every once in a while an unsolved mystery comes around and is so compelling and so unexplainable it gives an even scientists pause. One such story, such story is that of the Pollock sisters. 1957, two young English sisters, Joanna Pollock, 11, and Jacqueline Pollock, 6, died in a tragic car accident. A year later, their mother gave birth to twins, Gillian and Jennifer. And when the twins were old enough to talk, they began identifying and requesting toys that belonged to their dead sisters, pointing out landmarks that their dead sisters would have known about, such as the school they attended, and sometimes panicked upon seeing cars idling. They once screamed, that car's coming to get us. So they've got a fear of cars. After the twins turned five, these incidents became less frequent, and the girls went on to lead normal lives. Still, the story of the Pollock sisters made its way to Dr. Ian Stevenson, psychologist who studied reincarnation. 
And after studying thousands of supposed cases, Dr. Stevenson wrote a book telling a 14 he believed to have been real, including the Pollock sisters. So, you might look for his book if you want to know more. Well, among the mysterious disappearances are the Sodder children. George and Jenny Sodder, West Virginia, were forced to cope not only with the immeasurable loss of their children, but also the mysterious circumstances surrounding their loss. After the Sodder home burned to the ground on the night before Christmas in 1945, five of the ten Sodder children were still alive and accounted for. But the other five, well, from all accounts, they vanished into thin air. In the ruins of the fire, there was zero physical evidence of the missing five children that could be found, which is virtually impossible from a scientific standpoint. And that wasn't all that smelled off about the events of that night. Apparently, George tried to save the children who he believed were still trapped inside by using his coal truck, which, strangely enough, was inoperable. The phone lines to the house were found to have been cut. A woman claimed to have seen all five missing children peering from a passing car while the file was in progress, and a woman at a Charleston motel saw the uh, children's photos in the paper and said she'd seen four of the five the week before the fire. Excuse me, the week after the fire. Children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. She said, I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile. Wouldn't allow it. Well, the Sonner family theorized the children had been kidnapped, maybe in an attempt to extort money, maybe to coerce George into joining the local mafia. The Sodders were, in fact, of Italian um, extraction. They were Italian immigrants. Or maybe in retaliation for George's outspoken criticism of Mussolini and Italy's fascist government. From the 1950s till Jenny Sodder's death in the late 1980s, the Sodder family maintained a billboard in State Route 16 with the pictures of the five missing children and offered a reward for information. The last known uh, surviving uh, Sodder child, Sylvia, who was uh, 69 at the time she was interviewed, still doesn't believe her siblings perished in the fire. Well, from the Sodders, let's go to 2008. What happened to Walter Collins? 2008, Clint Eastwood's film, Changelings, we record interest in one of the most bizarre and tragic crime uh, stories of the 1920s. Single mom Christine Collins reported her nine-year-old son Walter missing in March of 1928 from their home in Los Angeles. Five months later, the police brought Walter home, except it wasn't Walter, and Christine knew it. But the only police dismissed Christine's concerns, going so far as to accuse her of ter- being a terrible mother and having her committed to a mental hospital. Well, the real Walter Collins was never found, and over time, authorities came to believe he was one of the victims of convicted child murderer Gordon Stewart Northcott, although Northcott's mother offered a confession for killing Walter. Whatever happened to Walter, his body was never found, and nobody ever learned what really happened. And nor has it been established with any certainty why the police were so invested in covering up the boy's disappearance that they brought a different child back to Christine and tried to convince her and the rest of the world that it was, in fact, her son. Strange things happen for very strange reasons. Well, let's talk about Paula Jean Weldon. She was 18, a sophomore at Bennington College on December 1st, 1946. 
She told her roommate, Elizabeth Parker, she was going for a long walk, but failed to ever come back. Search focused primarily on Vermont's Long Trail. That's a 270-mile trail that cut through Vermont to the Canadian border. That's where local witnesses reported having seen her. Well, the trail yielded no clues, however, and soon whatever the Bennington Banner refers to as tantalizing, unquestionably strange leads began to materialize. That include claims by a Massachusetts witness, that uh, a waitress, that she'd served an agitated young woman who matched Paula's description. On learning of this particular lead, Paula's father vanished for 36 hours, supposedly in pursuit of the lead, but nevertheless a strange move on that led to his becoming a prime suspect in Paula's disappearance. Soon stories began circulating that Paula's home life was not ex exactly as idyllic as her parents had told the police. Apparently, Paula hadn't returned home for Thanksgiving the week prior. She may have been distraught about a disagreement with her father. And for his part, Paula's father came up with a theory that Paula was distraught about a boy she liked, and maybe the boy should have been a suspect. Well, over the next decade, a local Bennington man twice bragged to friends that he knew where Paula's body was buried. Couldn't lead the police to the body, though, let alone to Paula's. With no evidence of a crime, no body, no forensic clues, the case grew cold and the theories grew strange, including those linked to the paranormal. Lumen author and occult researcher Joseph Citro came up with the Bennington Triangle theory, which explained the disappearance is linked to a special energy that attracts outer space visitors. It would also take Impala with them back to their world. Now, I mentioned this one just a few moments, a few minutes ago, the Flannan Island uh, Lighthouse disappearances. In 1900, three keepers of the Flannan Isle Lighthouse off the west coast of Scotland vanished under the strangest of circumstances. Lighthouse was manned by a three-person team, Thomas Marshall, James Ducott, and Donald MacArthur, with the fourth man rotating in from shore. On Boxing Day, December 26, 1900, the relief keeper arrived to find none of the lighthouse keepers present. The only sign of anything amiss was an overturned chair near the kitchen table. No bodies were ever found which has led to endless speculation. Theories range from drownings to abduction by foreign spies, a ghost ship, a giant sea monster. But whatever may have happened back in December 1900 at the Flannan Isle Lighthouse, we'll probably never know. Suffice it to say, something did happen. Well, we come to the end of today's show and the end of the week. We'll be back tomorrow, uh, Monday. And once again, we've been talking about the strange and the unusual. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great weekend.